subscribe and click the notification bell and you'll never miss another creepy video. First responders are groups of public safety workers that arrive on the scene of emergencies as fast as possible, bravely saving lives while risking their own. This includes police officers, firefighters, and paramedics. As you can imagine, rushing into turbulent situations can directly endanger the lives of these first responders, and often these folks witness extraordinary, if not terrifying, things. These are 10 allegedly real horror stories of or about first responders. If you want to hear your story in an episode of Darkness Prevails, share it with us at darknessprevails.org. I'm currently looking for stories from people who have experienced strange things in the woods, specifically people who may have encountered forces that wanted to take them away. If you're familiar with Missing 411, you know what I'm talking about or catch up on my show on the go on iTunes or at anchor.fm slash darkness prevails. It was here from anonymous location, a small new England town. I am a trained firefighter and EMT and I have a creepy story for you. On the night of December 12th of 2016, my tone went off and the dispatcher over the radio reported a one-car MVA with entrapment, which is a motor vehicle accident with someone still trapped inside the vehicle. The officer on the scene already stated he could not get to the vehicle as it had gone off the road down a 20-foot embankment. From the sound of it, I knew this was going to be bad I had a feeling there was not going to be a survivor in this situation. I arrived at the station. I piled onto the engine and we made our way to the small road, a very secluded one at that. These types of roads are easy to work on because you don't have much traffic and it's easy to close off. We worked fast to set up the tower light. The car appeared to have swerved off the road and drove right into the steep embankment I could see that the car was in extremely bad shape. I was figuring out a way to get down when I noticed a young girl standing about 10 feet away from me. She was bawling her eyes out. I walked over to her and I asked her if she had seen what had happened. She looked young, had blonde hair, and was wearing a blue tank top, black jeans with brown Ugg boots. She didn't respond right away. She just sobbed and shook her head. She kept saying, how, how? I asked again, did you see what happened? Do you know the person in the car? She simply looked down at the car, saying, how am I here? I was thinking she was obviously in shock, so I walked over to the ambulance to grab a blanket. I walked over to her, wrapped the blanket around her, but she didn't move. She still continued saying, How? How am I standing here? I'm here. Now, when people are in shock, this is generally how they act. I looked at her and I told her, Everything is okay. You're okay. Just stay here. Finally, she looked up at me, smiled, and said a shaky thank you. 
this was her first actual response to me. Before heading down the slope, I walked over to one of the officers and said, please keep an eye on that girl, she's in shock. The officer looked at me and said, huh? But I didn't give him the time to respond. I was making my way down toward the car that was in a massive amount of damage. One of my teammates was beginning to use the jaws of life to cut off the roof. I stayed in the back of the vehicle with the spine board ready to move it over to extract any victims. I suddenly heard one of the firefighters yell, victim has no response, heavy trauma, the victim has passed. He said that part a little harsher, but she was instantly declared due to a massive head injury and the state of her body. I don't think the nasty details are needed here. As we waited for the state police to arrive, I made my way back up to inform the incident commander that the victim is deceased and we now needed to remove the body. After three hours of investigation and determining the cause of the accident, we then had the green light to remove the body. We made our way back down to begin extraction. We prepared the spine board. As the other firefighter was removing the body, my stomach sank. I recognized the girl. It was her, the girl I had seen in shock at the top of the hill. This body matched her perfectly. Blue tank top, black jeans, brown Uggs. It was her. As we made our way up the slope, my mind was reeling. As soon as we got to the top, I looked around for the girl I'd given the blanket to. I walked up to the officer that I had spoken to earlier and asked, Where did the girl go? He looked at me again, puzzled. Man, what are you talking about? What girl? You okay? I just walked away, confused and very upset. For months, my head couldn't wrap around the thought of seeing that ghost or apparition or whatever it was. It just couldn't be real. But I've finally come to terms with this, although I didn't tell my teammates about it. I'm happy I made the girl's last moments warmer, at least. I did get her to smile, after all. We never did get that blanket back. My first firefighter call from Derek P-52, location, Wisconsin. My first fire call was for a two-vehicle MVC, or motor vehicle collision. I got into my vehicle and rushed over to the scene. When I got there, I was assigned the task of trying to find other passengers who had been ejected from the crash site. I approached the surrounding forest and I began to call out to see if anyone was there. Suddenly, I heard a male voice and I saw a human silhouette. I proceeded toward the figure in a hurry, when right in front of me, it seemed to just disappear. He was there and then he wasn't. I had heard him and I even saw him, but how does someone vanish like that without me even blinking? like some sort of vaporized mist. I rubbed my eyes, and I told myself that I was just extremely tired. I walked back to the scene, 
and I saw the same figure again, except he was on the other side of the road. This time, I did not approach the figure. Something inside me was afraid, and whenever I turned back to look at that figure, he would simply be standing there, watching the scene. To this day, I try to avoid that road, unless it's an absolute emergency. There's something wrong there, and it terrifies me. Uncle Vinny, the EMT, from XX Atroticus XX, location, Philadelphia. Although I've heard many stories from my uncle about his time as an EMT, this is the story that will stick with me until the day I pass away. About six years ago, my Uncle Vinny's paramedic crew responded to a call from a hotel in Philadelphia. It was one of the more horrific experiences he had. The initial report stated that a maintenance man named Mike went to check on room 417 since people had reported flooding in the hallway there and it was Mike who found the body. Mike informed 911 that there was a man in the in-suite hot tub who appeared to be gone, and he was all but hyperventilating as he tried to make the report. Mike relayed that he saw the man and immediately backed out of the room, being careful not to drop his phone into the several inches of water on the floor. My uncle's two-man paramedic team entered the scene about 12 minutes later. They almost gagged at the smell of excrement and burning skin. Vinny, who has a stomach of steel though, had to press his hand into his mouth to keep from throwing up. It was that bad. The room was filled with steam and the humidity was instantly making the men sweat. The grips they had on their equipment was slipping they understood that they needed to extract the victim quickly. The clothesless man was floating in the hot tub, a maniacal grin plastered across his face. From the looks of the man, he had been under the water for quite a while. His skin was bruised and pruned and beginning to peel. Vinny, holding his breath, checked for vitals on the man while one of the other EMTs went to get a bag to put the remains in. Even though my Uncle Vinny saw things like this regularly, this method of the man's demise was a bit disturbing for him, and something about the whole situation was unnerving. As Vinny placed his fingers on the man's wrist, expecting to feel nothing, he had to choke back a startled scream when the victim's hand shot out and grabbed hold of his arm. The man was not yet gone. The John Doe didn't show any other signs of being responsive, but when another EMT went to check the man's eyes for dilation, his pupils looked slitted, more akin to a reptile's eyes than a human. Vinny was weirded out, but dismissed it as a possible side effect of being boiled alive. As the men removed the man from the hot tub, he suddenly began to thrash, strips of flesh splattering on the EMTs. They tried to pin the man down to keep him from hurting himself, but he was shockingly strong. As the last bits of skin dropped to the floor, Vinny saw that it wasn't more skin underneath, 
It was a patterned looking substance, one that was rough to the touch. His partner must have noticed too, because both men began screaming almost in unison. Then the man began to, get this, growl. My uncle's normal desire to figure out problems turned into sheer fight-or-flight response, with flight winning out. He ran from the hotel room, his teammate on his heels. They slammed the door behind them, and a moment later, they swear they heard one of the windows inside shatter. The men had no idea how to explain this to their boss, but after some phone calls, a few guys with black suits and FBI badges appeared, and oddly enough, the men gave them stories to follow. They were told to say that the John Doe had tried to drown himself, and that the mentally unhinged man had climbed down the fire escape when his attempt failed. Vinny was told to keep his mouth shut about it, that that's what happened, and there was nothing else to the story. I could tell he didn't want to, but I was the only one in the family that he thought would believe him. The only reason he even shared his ridiculous story is because he thinks someone has been stalking him the last few weeks, and he's worried that it has something to do with that night. I thought he was crazy until I went to his house the other day and saw him solemnly staring at a pair of footprints under his windowsill. Footprints that weren't his or even mine. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. My Father's Friend from Jennifer Location Unknown This is a story from my dad's friend named Dominic, and I'll tell the story from his perspective. I'm a 42-year-old police officer of five years, it was the year 2000. I was on patrol near the outskirts of the town. This area had quite the history for substance abusers, but today it was different. I drove around in my cruiser and surveyed the area. That's when I saw something. There was a girl about 15 years old crying 
red fluid coming from her head. I immediately got out and ran over to her. She sobbed out words that I couldn't understand. I called for an ambulance, and I set her in the safety of the back of my cruiser, using my jacket to try to bandage the top of her head. After the ambulance and detectives arrived and the girl calmed down, she told us something, something we did not expect to hear. My ex-boyfriend, he broke into our house. She teared up and continued after shaky breaths. He took me to the highway in a silver Sonata. She was almost shaking so bad, I thought she was going to black out. The detectives left her for a moment so she could collect herself before she suddenly paled and screamed. We all turned and most of the officers, including me, pulled our sidearms and turned to where she was looking. We were all shocked to see a very large man, who we assumed must have been her ex-boyfriend, holding a red-stained sledgehammer. We all stood still and our superior officer commanded him to put down the hammer. It took him a painful and suspenseful few minutes to comply before he finally put the hammer down. The officers began to handcuff him and put him in the cruiser. We looked to the girl and she confirmed that he was in fact her ex. But something was strange. The injury on her head was caused by the butt of a pistol not the sledgehammer lying on the ground, the one covered, apparently, in someone else's fresh blood. My Strange Police Chase from Eddie Versace Police are people we're supposed to trust, but sometimes they don't mean well. Let me tell you of my creepy police encounter. My friend, my girlfriend, and myself were driving home from college. We decided to stop at a McDonald's and eat quickly, so we stopped, ordered our food, and ate. As we were eating, my girlfriend noticed two policemen walking in, but they both looked dirty, like they hadn't showered in ages. They didn't order anything and simply sat at the table in front of us. She told me this, and I simply said, ah, they're probably just here to make sure there's no trouble. So we continued eating. I got up to ask for some extra sauce, and when I get back, they were staring at us. I felt a chill run down my spine. When we were about to open the door to leave, I turned back and they're still staring. I quickly turn away and go inside our car. I tell my girlfriend and our friend about it, and they looked worried. My girlfriend said that while I went to get sauce, they were staring at them while they were at the table. My veins run cold, and we turn on the car to leave. As soon as I do, I see the policemen leaving McDonald's and getting inside their cruiser. I get out of the parking lot and leave. Since we still needed two hours to get home, we went to the gas station to fill up. As I exit the car to pump the tank, I see a police car pull up, and of course it's the same policeman from McDonald's. My girlfriend and our friend notice this as well, and we both get out in case something happened. This makes me feel a bit better. But nothing happened, 
they stayed in their car and stared at us. As we begin to drive away, the same policemen are driving behind us. At this point, I'm beyond terrified. I just want to get home and be safe. My friends tell me to speed up, take some weird turns here and there and try to lose them. I do just that, but the police continued to follow, always staring. We drove, using a quarter of the tank I just bought, until finally we decided to just go home. With the cops following us, I drop off my friend at his place. Then I go to my girlfriend's house, where we stay for the night. But as we're getting out of the car, the police cruiser drives up and watches us walk inside. I can see their faces. They're so stern, so serious, and angry. Thinking about those policemen still gives me the chills to this day. I have no idea what they wanted, and I'm so glad that nothing happened that night, and that we all made it home safely. If I ever have an emergency, I hope it's not those policemen that come to my quote-unquote rescue. Long-Armed Creature From Ryan Location Louisiana. I work as a paramedic, and needless to say, after being in this profession for a while, you'll see your fair share of creepy things. However, nothing I've experienced so far tops this. The unit that I work on is quite rural compared to most others in our fleet. It was a terribly busy night, so we were posted at a halfway point between our station and another in town to cover both parts of the area. We like to post off the road about a quarter of a mile into the woods, so we would not be bothered while we were there. It was late, so my partner and I got into the back of our unit, as there is much more room to stretch out and relax in the back. My partner was asleep at one point, and I was messing around on my phone. I suddenly felt something bump into the side of our unit, shaking the entire truck. Now our trucks are heavy, and it would take a substantial amount of force to shake it like that. I woke up my partner and told him what happened, but he ignored me, brushing it off, thinking that I may have been dreaming or something. Then it happened again. My partner immediately woke up and looked out the window. I did the same. We couldn't see a thing outside, though. It was too dark. We made the decision to cut on the unit floodlights, which illuminate the entire area around the truck. I moved from the window to hit the button, and my partner stayed behind looking through the window. The moment I flipped them on, my partner gasped and jumped away from the window. When I turned, I saw it as well. The light from the back of the unit illuminated an approximately seven-foot-tall creature. It looked like it was turned around, so I couldn't see a face, but most of it was hairless, though I could see some matted patches of hair here and there on its body. It had extremely long and skinny arms that appeared to drag the ground behind it. The parts of the body that were hairless appeared to be gray and wrinkly, it wasn't moving. It was standing completely still, its back towards us. 
We decided to radio dispatch and told them to get a police unit to our location as soon as possible. We simply said the reason was a large animal was lurking outside of our unit. Five agonizing minutes later, we saw the lights from the police unit coming from down the road. The creature suddenly looked in the direction of the lights, twisted its body, and very calmly walked into the forest. The officer walked right up to our unit, completely ignorant of the abomination that had just been seen outside our vehicle. We explained to him what was going on, and he admitted that he hadn't seen anything as he pulled up. Whatever was out there was gone now. It's been a few months since we sighted this creature. I've never seen or heard anything like it before, and I haven't seen it since. Granted, we don't park in that area anymore, would you? We've stayed in the front of the truck nowadays when posting, ready to floor it and drive away if we ever see that thing's pale and hairless skin again. Should have went out of service. From Sierra. Location, Wilmington, North Carolina. I am a paramedic. I've been working with my service since May 2017, but overall I've been an EMS for a few years now. Wilmington is not all around the best for first responders. They will call for you then treat you like crap once you arrive. Not all people are like that, but sadly, most of them are. This one night is the only time I've truthfully been scared and honestly feared for my life. It was 22.55, 10.55 p.m. I remember that because the truck I was on that night was going out of service at 2300 or 11 and another unit got a pre-alert, letting you know you're about to get a call at an intersection on a busy street. The area I was in was the downtown area where there's constantly traffic accidents or people sleeping on sidewalks that tell you to screw off when you ask what's going on, so I didn't think anything of it. On our computer, we can look up the calls that are pending, so I did. Now, where we were driving, we were at the stoplight of the main street the call was on. We just needed to get from 17th Street to 6th Street on that main street. While reading the notes, the caller advised that there was a man lying on the ground without any clothes. I absolutely love our law enforcement, but they tend to call us for bullcrap a lot. I get it. You have to cover your own butt. But it had been a long day. We had run 11 calls already, and I was down a chart and was supposed to be off in five minutes. So I told my partner to go ahead, to just let the truck who got the pre-alert handle that call. Immediately after I said that, I immediately stopped myself. Wait, crap, I said. We need to take a left and go to this call. The notes updated during the questions and answers stating that the guy was just run over. We checked en route from the time of dispatch and arrived 30 seconds later. Literally 30 seconds, according to the radio log that tells us how long it took us to get there. I'm in the passenger seat, 
There is a truck on the very right lane of a three-lane one-way street, still running with the driver's side door open, and a man stuck under the truck with another man lying on the ground trying to pull the guy out. I quickly tell Central that we have one pedestrian entrapped under the vehicle, possibly a black tag. We triage on traffic accidents. Green means walking wounded. Yellow means they're bad but not immediate. Red means critical. Blue means they're not gone yet, but due to injuries you suspect they might be. And of course, black means they're far gone. My partner and I get out of the truck, put our bright yellow neon traffic vests on, and go to the patient. I get on the ground, and I've gotta say, if you don't do well with hearing certain traumatic incidents, I would skip this part. The man is stuck underneath the back axle of the truck. His neck is broken. He's in a complete split with one leg facing the opposite way it's supposed to be, and all the bones in his legs are exposed. At this point, I know the patient is gone, but we were not in a good area of town. There were at least 100 people around us, and I promise I'm not even exaggerating. They were standing around at this intersection screaming at us to help him, which we were trying to do. If I could have ripped him out from underneath that vehicle and put him on the stretcher, I would have done just that, just to get out of that area. Once the crowd realized we were getting them out, they started to form a circle around us, screaming even louder for some reason. At that point, I'm attempting to get the guy who was lying on the ground pulling at the deceased patient away from the vehicle, but he keeps screaming. I think that's my cousin. Oh God. Somehow he ends up getting the wallet of the patient and takes a look at his driver's license and starts bawling, confirming that it is his cousin. And that's when the crowd becomes irate because they know the guy. I radio to Central that I need multiple law enforcement emergency traffic to me. Usually our telecommunications are good about getting us someone quick, but that night I had to ask four different times and by the last time, I simply said, screw proper radio etiquette, and I said, I need Leo now, the large crowd circling us. Now, four minutes is not a long time normally, but that was the longest four minutes of my life. Four entire minutes of waiting for law enforcement to come and help and get this crowd away from us. My partner and I are standing back to back at that point. We were anticipating anything to happen at any moment. I honestly felt like I put on the wrong vest and should have put on my bulletproof one because that's the type of area we were dealing with. They blocked us from our ambulance, so even if we wanted to attempt to get in the truck and leave the scene, we couldn't have. Finally, law enforcement showed up and they get the scene secured and in control. The other ambulance showed up as well, and so did multiple fire engines. We had to jack the truck up and get it off this guy to pull him out to officially pronounce him deceased by getting a heart strip from our monitor. I've never in my life been so happy to see those blue lights. After the call, my partner and I talked, and we both felt the same way that this could have been our last call together, our last call in EMS, and maybe even our last night alive. I know this may not seem scary to some people, 
but when you're in this situation, I promise you, you'd be thinking of ways of how to get out alive. People do not care that you're a paramedic or firefighter. They definitely do not care if you're a police officer. People in this town hurt each other for far less. Psychiatric or Possessed from NH Paramedic Location Unknown This is not my story, but a story from a fellow paramedic. Somehow we got onto the topic of psychiatric patients last night, and this story came up. He was telling us how he went to this nine-year-old patient for a psych outburst, and his partner was not thrilled to go to this house. This specific paramedic never gets scared, and I've seen her make large, non-sober men who were just fighting people stand up and get into the ambulance without question. But she's afraid to go see this child. Her story is one night they were called out to that house because the nine-year-old was attacking his mother. Once they arrived on scene, they noticed no lights were on in the house. We work night shift, so that's red flag number one. Law enforcement was there and the mother came outside with multiple scratches all over her body. The mother told EMS and Leo that the child just randomly started attacking her and she had no idea what to do. She also let them know that the child cut the power to the house and that there were no lights on inside. She doesn't know how he did it or where he's at. Law enforcement led the way and the paramedics followed. Once they were in the house, it was quiet. Red flag number two. After walking through parts of the residence, they finally found the child standing in a corner, just swaying back and forth. Once the officer's flashlight hit him, he turned around. His eyes rolled back in his head, and he kept repeating, Jesus Christ, over and over, and he began to run at them, but in a shuffling kind of way. As far as I know, they transported the patient, but the mother swore that her son was possessed. The creepier part is from his bedroom window. You could see one of the main cemeteries we have there. I don't do dark, and I don't do creepy kids, especially at the same time. Scary Police Experience from Jack. Location. Minot, North Dakota. My dad was working for the Minot police for 24 years until he retired shortly after this event. My dad and his coworker were called to a red house on the corner of a 4th Avenue. Earlier, a young woman in her late 20s called, reporting a woman screaming for her life. The thing is, my dad says, that house had been vacant for 25 years and it had been marked as abandoned. My dad and his coworker, Jay, walked up to the house and proceeded to open the door when he heard the loudest blood-curdling scream. It was coming from upstairs, so my dad and Jay almost crapped themselves after hearing it. They pulled their sidearms and proceeded to open the door. My dad described the house to have one staircase leading to the upstairs and one basement. So my dad told Jay to go upstairs and he would search the main level. But Jay said he wasn't going upstairs without him. Note both of these men were six feet and weighed close to 200 pounds. 
my dad agreed to go with Jay. They started to walk up the narrow staircase, and they could soon hear scratching noises coming from upstairs. When they made it to the last step, the scream came again. This time, it sounded like a goat getting attacked. Now, there were two rooms upstairs. One was open and one was shut. My dad grew a pair, so he proceeded to open the door, the shut one, I mean. When he flung the door open, there was no one inside, but he noticed that there was this red stuff pouring out from the closet. Jay and my dad were about to open the door when they heard laughter coming from the other room. They turned their backs to the closet when the scream came inches away from them. They immediately ran downstairs as fast as possible, but my dad admits before they began running, he saw a man in his 50s chewing on what appeared to be a human arm, one that was attached to a woman screaming next to him. My dad and Jay called for the SWAT team to come in and get this man. When the man was pulled out of the house, he had only one eye and he had human flesh hanging from his mouth. Later, my dad was told that there was a man in the closet with a knife waiting for someone to open the door. If they hadn't run from that situation, they may not have made it out alive at all. The Not-Supposed-To-Be-Living Lady From Giovanna Location Unknown My dad has been working in the medical fields for about 30 years now. In fact, it's where he met my mom, teaching her in a medical class. He was much younger than her, though, as he was quite the medical prodigy, so he graduated ahead of most people his age. Not only that, but he was also a paramedic for a majority of his time. Now that you know the basics, we can get to this story. My dad was working one of his shifts with his coworker, Bill. My dad and Bill had suddenly gotten an emergency call about an elderly lady who was having what seemed to be a heart attack. They got in their ambulance and rushed over. Mind you, it's around four in the morning. They get there and see a squad car. The officer was already doing chest palpitations and looked terrified. My dad found out later that the guy was new and had no idea what to do. My dad and Bill loaded the lady into the ambulance, and my dad sped off. As they were driving, my dad said he got a weird feeling. From the back, he heard that Bill was taking out the paddles to start this lady's heart back up. He then looked to his left at the passenger seat, and his heart sank as he saw the woman sitting next to him. He almost swerved the car when he saw her, but he kept it straight somehow. The lady was just staring out at the road with tears in her eyes. He was confused but felt the need to console her. He asked, uh, ma'am, are you okay? Then he began to hear a ringing noise. He said the way she began to sob in her hands filled him with such utter sadness that he nearly stopped the ambulance just to hug her. He said she turned to look at him, then spoke in what was a faded, kind of raspy voice. I didn't help her. My dad glanced at the road, and then when he looked back at her, she was gone. The ringing sound had faded as well, which she later realized was the sound of her heart rate on the machine, which had now flatlined. 
Bill then came up through the opening from the back of the ambulance and said, Hey, are you okay? I heard you talking to someone, man. Were you using the radio to call something in? My dad had a bad history of talking on the phone while driving, so Bill was suspicious, but he gave my dad the benefit of the doubt. My dad shook his head and sat there. When they made it to the hospital and took the lady in, my dad told Bill everything. Bill was skeptical at first, but he said to my dad, Mike, I hope you're lying to me. My dad asked why, and what he said scared him to this day. Because while you were prepping the paddles, I swear to God, I heard the lady sigh and begin to cry. But when I looked, she was still the same as I had left her. Answering emergency calls is tough. Imagine doing that for a living. Having to be the first on the scene when the violence starts, when the tragedies begin, when the worst of the worst of humanity happens, you have to be the first among its attendants. For that, my heart goes out to you, and I thank you for what you do. Without first responders, there are a lot of people who wouldn't be around today. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a like, share it with your friends, click the subscribe button and the notification bell, and leave a comment. If you want to have your story narrated on this show, send it in at darknessprevails.org submit. I'm looking for mysterious, almost taken stories from the forest, anything missing 411 related. If you want to support the show, you can donate any amount on patreon.com darknessprevails. This will get you access to ad-free MP3 episode downloads, and you'll get your name in the credits at the end of these videos. Or if you want some merchandise, go to teespring.com slash stores slash darknessprevails, where you can browse my horror-related stuff. If you're on YouTube, it's as simple as clicking the shop button below. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous full episode about five creepy stories from college students. Arabella Patterson says, The scariest part of college is the work. It is tough work. I just hope one day it pays off as much as it used to. College is always worth it, if only for the knowledge and wisdom it's supposed to imbue. Bramble Chaser says, One more reason to procrastinate on my college papers. I couldn't help but read that pretending I didn't know what procrastinate meant, and it sounded pretty dirty. What's wrong with me? Spice God says, Hey, Ugga Booga, I hope this gets featured. Well, there you go, Spice God. Thanks for making me reminisce back to the opening theme of Courage the Cowardly Dog. Jason Stott says, What a way to kick off the weekend. I know, right? And if you listen to this one, it's a good way to start the work week. Now, ah, what am I saying? There's no good way to start off the work week. And Austin McKenna says, The scariest college story is the debt. I'm gonna like this comment. It's at 64 upvotes and it needs 69. No more, no less. Four reasons. Also because I couldn't agree more. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. But thanks to the infinite amount of horrors that happen in our world, there's always plenty more episodes coming in the future, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing donating patrons. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one.